Do you ever wonder if life would be easier if you weren't a Christian? Fewer restrictions, fewer obligations, more time. You wouldn't be in a minority. You might even begin to feel at home in the world. Wouldn't that be nice? Life would be easier if I wasn't a Christian. Do you ever feel that way? Well, that's how the, the hearers of this, of this letter felt. They were tempted to leave Jesus and to return to Judaism. They were being persecuted. And in many ways, their life would have been easier if they were no, not Christian. But our author, their pastor, wants to help them to persevere in the Christian life. He wants them to hold on to Jesus. And more than hold on, he wants them to flourish and enjoy themselves and to grow and to serve on their way to heaven. And the whole book is designed to do just that. So if you resonate with the feeling that life would just be easier if I wasn't a Christian, life would be easier if I threw in the towel and gave up on Jesus, well, this sermon is for you. Because our author lays out the truths that you need to take on board if you're going to flourish and persevere as a Christian. The title of today's sermon is How Not to Fall Away. And I have two points. Don't be lazy and hold on to hope. If you want to make it to heaven, if you want to flourish as a Christian, then listen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please soften our hearts to receive your word. Please help us not only to be hearers of your word, but doers also. And please give us the wisdom to hold on to Jesus as we wait for heaven with unshakable confidence in your promises. Amen. Our text uh, today is Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11. Verse 11 to chapter 6, verse 20. If you don't have it open in front of you, uh, please pause the video now and sort that out. Our author has just been talking about how Jesus is the great high priest in chapters 4 and 5. And at this point, he looks up from his notes and he realises that his audience are falling asleep. I hope that's not you at this point. We've still got a while to go. But our author, like a good preacher, wakes them up. He bangs on the pulpit and says, wake up. Verse 11, we have much to say about this, that is, about the high priestly ministry of Jesus. And we'll read about that in chapters 7 to 10. He does have a lot to say about it. But at this point, it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand Literally, in the Greek, it is, you are sluggish hearers. You are lazy hearers. It's the same word down in chapter 6, verse 12, where he says there, we don't want you to be lazy. And this is exactly what they are, and this is their problem. He says, verse 12, you ought to be teachers, but you're still in primary school. You ought to be eating burgers, solid food, but you're still on breast milk. Verse 13, you are unskilled, immature, untrained, unable to distinguish good from evil, he says. 
and it is to their shame. And if it's true of us, it's to our shame as well. One of the cool things about being a dad is the privilege of watching my children grow up. They used to drink breast milk. Now I'm happy to say they are both on solid food. They used to crawl on the floor, now they walk. It's really fun to watch them grow up. But something would be seriously wrong if at 20, Sophie is still drinking breast milk. Something would be seriously wrong if Nathan graduated from university only to return to preschool later on in life. And that's what these guys are like. Their pastor is looking out at them and saying, you should be eating burgers, but you're still drinking breast milk. You should be teaching, but you're in preschool. And it's embarrassing. Look at what he wants for them in verse 14. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. He wants them to become mature. He wants their powers of discernment trained. He wants them to be able to distinguish between good and evil. In the original Greek again, the words for good and evil are very similar. Kalau, good. Kakao, evil. And he's making the very subtle point that if you're going to become mature as a Christian, you need to put in the hard work. You need to listen carefully for the difference between good and evil. You need to be precise. You can't be sluggish. You can't be lazy. You need to work hard. So here's the first challenge for us. Have you settled for breast milk? Are you satisfied with a basic understanding of the Christian faith? Are you a lazy learner? You think you've made it. Do you not really have a well thought through theological system that you can draw on when life gets tough? If you're the kind of person who draws all of your strength in the Christian life from songs rather than from the Bible or a deep reading of Christian books, that's not something to be proud of. That is something to be embarrassed by. For you cannot love someone that you do not know. Do you get that? If you don't know God very, very well, then you cannot love God very well. If you feel as though life as a Christian is boring, life with God is boring, it's not because God is boring. It's because you haven't put in the time to get to know him. If you're not growing in your knowledge of God, it's embarrassing. And your love of God will suffer for it. You'll be in danger of falling away. So don't be lazy. You need to hear the command in chapter 6, verse 1. And this is the central command in this first section about not being lazy. Chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instructions about washings, laying on of hands, resurrection, eternal judgment. These things are basic to the Christian life, the foundational truths 
of the Christian life. Turning to God, putting your faith in God. Um, Baptism, praying, the resurrection of Jesus. These are basics. And we are to move on from these things towards maturity. Now, don't misunderstand me and don't misunderstand what he's saying. The basics are important. And in a sense, you never move on from them. It's just that the foundations of a house are supposed to be built on. You know, once you've laid the foundations, you don't pack up all of the gear and go home. You move on and build the house. But the foundations are important. If the foundations are dodgy, the whole house will be unstable. It's just that the job isn't done once you've laid the foundations, once you've got the basics. And it's really important that you move on and get deeper in your understanding of Christian things. It's really important because if you settle for a Sunday school Christian education, you'll end up losing the basics. You'll end up following the world rather than God's word. Your theology will not be robust enough to withstand plausible sounding arguments of the world. And eternal judgment is one of these things, isn't it? Christians are listening far too much to the world and the idea of eternal judgment becomes unappealing. As if justice or the honor of God has no value at all. As if at the center of the universe are humans rather than God. We can fill our heads with all sorts of garbage, whether it's progressive sexual ethics, scientism, capitalism, or any other kind of ism that you might want to follow. And if you're not grounded in God's word, if you're not mature, if you're not able to distinguish between good and evil, you'll follow the crowd and fail to follow Jesus. Which leads us to the warning in verses 4 to 8. And the insight that lazy listeners are the ones who fall away. Now, there's been a lot of ink spilt on verses 4 to 8. But I want you to notice what the main warning here is. And I want you to be terrified that you might fall for it. He says, verse 4, It is impossible in the case of those who have... And then he lists all of these wonderful gifts that God gives his people. It's impossible for the person who has received all of these gifts... And then verse 6 has fallen away to be brought back to repentance. If you fall away, you will not come back. That's the warning. And the reason is in verse 6, you've made out that the cross of Christ achieves nothing, crucifying him again, and you've subjected Jesus to public disgrace. That is, it is personal. It is an affront to God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Verses 7 and 8 make the same point, but they clear up for us what exactly the difference between the person who falls away and the person who perseveres is. 
If you listen attentively to God's word with a soft heart, like the land that drinks in the rain, verse 7, welcoming correction, being trained by it, and bearing fruit, being obedient, you will be blessed. But, verse 8, if you hear the word of God, but you don't discern its goodness and you produce thorns and thistles, you're in danger of being cursed and in the end you'll be thrown into hell. That's the difference. The mature person listens attentively to God's word, soaks it in, and then puts it into practice. The person who falls away doesn't listen to God's word and doesn't put it into practice. And we've seen this time and time again in Hebrews, haven't we? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did in the rebellion. Notice again that everyone in the fellowship receives the rain from heaven. It's just that some people absorb it and put it into practice and others don't. The great warning of this passage, therefore, is that it is possible to hear the word of God, even to taste something of the benefits of belonging to God's people and to have a spiritual umbrella up so that the word of God doesn't sink in and make an impact in your life. It is a very dangerous thing, a very dangerous thing, to hear the word of God and to not put it into practice. It is a soul-destroying thing. Not to savour the word of God, not to be nourished by the word of God and to put it into practice. If you walk down that path, it ends in hell. So don't do it. Once I asked Philip Jensen if it was possible for a Christian to fall away. And he looked at me and said, you're not planning on, are you? That's a really good answer, isn't it? Can I fall away? Don't fall away. That's the Bible's answer. For you see, the Bible is a pastoral book. It tells me true things that lead to my salvation. First of all, I need to know that my salvation is assured because it's not up to me. It's up to the sure promises of God and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ as my high priest. And we'll be thinking about that in a little while. But I also need to know that apart from Jesus, there is no salvation at all. And if I'm sluggish, I will give him up and I will go to hell. I need both. And God, in his kindness, has given me both. God is sovereign, and he carries me forward to maturity. I am responsible, and I mustn't be a lazy learner. So that's the first point. Don't be lazy. Why? Because to be a lazy hearer of God's word is embarrassing. Why? Because to be a lazy doer of God's word is dangerous. So don't be lazy. The second point is shorter, and it is hold on to hope. As we hold on to Jesus and listen carefully, we can be absolutely sure that we will make it to heaven. Because God cannot lie, and Jesus is our anchor. Verse 13. 
Our author takes us to Abraham and says, remember Abraham, he trusted God and God kept his promise. Verse 13, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. The point being made here is that faith in God pays. Putting your hope in God always is worthwhile because God always keeps his promises. Just as Abraham waited patiently and received the promise, we too can be absolutely sure that God will fulfill his promises to us. Notice just how certain it is. He swore by himself, verse 16. Verse 17, he confirmed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things we can trust these promises. And verse 18, God never lies. So that we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. Verse 18. The story of Abraham is supposed to encourage us that God always keeps his promises and that if we trust him, well, we will inherit the promises. I trained as a primary school teacher and every profession kind of has a smell. Uh, if you're a minister, the smell is old pews and dust. If you're a primary school teacher, the smell is burning plastic. It's a laminator machine. And as a primary school teacher, if you want to make something last, you laminate it. Abraham's promise notice was double laminated. And it was already perfectly secure in the first place because God made the promise. God's purposes always come about. God is absolutely committed to coming good on his promises. So putting our hope in him and persevering with him pays. That's the point of this Abraham story. But we have something more. We have the Lord Jesus, our great high priest. He has already entered God's presence. Do you see that verse 19? He's entered into heaven behind the veil where God is. And he is our guarantee that we will join him if we hold on to him. He is our hope. The word hope in the letter of Hebrews isn't some vague feeling. It's not, oh, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. It's not wishful thinking. It's not how we use the word. Hope in the Bible refers to the certain future that God has promised for us and is already ours in the person of Jesus. And our author says, verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. In the ancient world, anchors were different to what they are today. In every ancient harbour, there was a massive stone located at the harbour's edge. It was firmly fixed there, secure. In the Greek, it was called the Ancora. You can still see them actually in the Mediterranean today. And when a ship couldn't 
go into the harbour because it was too stormy and to go near the rocks would be dangerous, one of the crew members would go ahead of them in a rowboat as the forerunner and they'd attach a rope to this rock, this firmly fixed thing in the harbour. And from there, the ship would simply have to hold onto that rope and they were safe. The storm would pass and they would be drawn back to safety. So you can see the analogy is making. Jesus is the anchor. And as long as we hold on to him, so long as we are attached to him, he will bring us safely into harbour. We will make it to our heavenly home. We can be absolutely certain that we will be saved. Because God always keeps his promises. And God is, and Jesus is already there as our anchor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that your promises are sure. That you always keep your promises. Thank you that Jesus has gone before us, that he is our high priest and guarantees our entrance into heaven. Please forgive us for being lazy learners. Please train us to discern good from evil. Please help us to hold on to Jesus, to trust and obey your word to the very end. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.